Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. So, okay, so we have to do, we have to do our, our corny little group hug, okay? So everybody turn on your camera for just a second. Because otherwise, uh, I'm, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Otherwise, I'm in my cereal box. Thank you. Thank you. I get to see everybody. Hi, everybody. Oh, there are faces out there, humanoids. <laughs> Super helpful. Thank you. Awesome. Grazie, molto grazie. Terrific. Okay, cool. So, hey, happy new year, everybody. May the next one be just a tiny bit better. I'm not asking for much. Don't get me started. <laughs> it wasn't all that bad, but it was pretty bad. So um, for those of you who may be new, first of all, thanks for coming out a little bit early, uh, New Year's Day. We decided for the first time to shift it earlier so people can start their binge drinking before noon today. <laughs> so what we do at these events, these are free weekly gatherings where um, we started these with COVID back in, I think, March or something. It's, I don't know how many, 30, 38, 39, a ton. And it's just a way for basically for us to hang out. Um, I generally don't say a whole lot, which is one reason I like it. Um, I shouldn't say I don't say a whole lot. Uh, I, I, I can't help myself, I always say a lot. Um, but I don't prepare much. Um, that's why I love it. I just show up and, and respond to questions and conversations and offerings. Um, and so we can talk about anything. A couple, you know, a handful of really good questions came in. So I'll, I'll answer those and then we open it up to you. You can talk about anything you want. But I do want to share, you know, we do a little, little bit of um, kind of updating housekeeping thing. And then I do, I do want to share one thing. Um, we just released uh, um, an interview with Antoine Lutz, um, hour and 45 minutes or so. He's, he's amazing. He's a, a neuroscientist. I, I met him a number of years ago at the Center for the Investigation of Healthy Minds. I'm, I'm not sure what they call it now at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This is Richie Davidson's amazing facility. Um, and so they, they brought me out and I did a bunch of things with them. And so I got to be really good buds with, with Antoine. And since then he's moved to Lyon, France and set up his own amazing lab. He's just a really cool guy. He's, he's trained in, in neuroscience, philosophy, psychology. So really sharp cookie. Um, and so we had a really rich, wide ranging conversation that I think we just posted yesterday. Um, also, the second conversation with my, my Islamic mystic scholar practitioner friend, Yusuf Al-Hur, who, who lives in Baghdad. We, we finished uh, our second. It's the first person I've had back twice, because the first time he had so much terrific information just on the, kind of the foundations of, of Islam um, and uh, mystical Islam, Sufism and the like, that, that we brought him back to basically continue. And he's fantastic. He's such a guest. He loves to talk. Uh, I adore him. He's super smart guy. He's got a wicked sense of humor and extremely well-versed, trained. So um, we haven't posted that yet, but that's coming up. Book study group is still happening. You can still join us on Tuesday night. Um, we're only halfway through the damn book. So this is what this is every Tuesday. We started this like 12 weeks ago. We're going through, I, I'm reading the entire 
book, Dreams of Light, um, which is by far the deepest thing I've written and unpacking it. Um, and so you can still join, everything's recorded. You can come back and listen to the ones you missed. And the conversations there, the questions are really, really great. Um, so that's still happening on Tuesdays. Maybe Andy can post the link for that somewhere. Um, so that's, that's it in terms of, of stuff. Things are a little bit quiet because of the new year. I'm, I'm still a little bit on semi-retreat vacation here in California. And um, things will pick up for sure when I get back next week. There's a whole lot of other things uh, in the works, which I'll share later. Um, but I wanted to share, I, sh I, I did share part of this dream with the book study group last week. So I wanna share a little bit with you because I haven't met with you all in two weeks. And so I had, I had one of these really big, big dreams. They're theophantic dreams. They, they have tons of different names, dreams of clarity. This was, uh, it happened on the night of um, the solstice and also the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction. So um, I knew about the solstice, but I wasn't that up on the Saturn-Jupiter thing. And so that made it even more interesting when I woke up the next day and, and started, you know, getting all these really interesting uh, messages and even videos uh, around the Saturn-Jupiter thing. And boy, oh, it couldn't have been more spot on. And so there, there are a couple of things about this dream that were really interesting. Um, I'm not going to share a whole lot about the actual content, um, but it was just one of these major dreams where, you know, I woke up and the minute I woke up, it was, it was a non-lucid dream. Um, but, but again, that doesn't mean you can't use these dreams, right? Um, almost any dream can be used. And this one was non-lucid, but it carried a major message. And when I woke up from it, it was really kind of interesting because the minute I woke up, it was 3 a.m. I reached over to my computer, which I really never have with me because um, I had to write this one down. I generally don't write too many of my dreams down anymore. But these big dreams, I absolutely, I write them down, I date them, I title them, and I put them in my big dream folder, so to speak. And so what, what added a little bit of an exclamation mark on this dream was when I woke up, there was, um, after being awake for a few minutes typing it, there was a, a kind of unusual solitary siren. Um, and I'm in a, a gated community, community where sirens, I don't know where it was coming from, but even that was just a little eerie and, and it had this sense of a, like an exclamation mark, like you better really listen to this one. Um, and so the dream itself was, was super impactful. Part of it, uh, I can share one or two things with it. Um, part of it was, had to do with this massive tsunami, this, this uh, kind of sea change coming in from, a, from an unexpected direction. And um, I, the, the part I can share is I went inside after there was all this kind of churning and, and um, uh, I wouldn't say disaster, but just this, this kind of complete uh, immersion in this tsunami. And there was a, there was a letter, there was a, it was the strangest thing. So I went inside my childhood house and there was a, this little letter in a kind of a red ribbon Christmas gift card thing. And, um, and so I opened the letter and I mean, again, I think just that day or the day before I had been listening to this talk from embodied philosophy people where there were, you know, this classic statement, it's always misattributed. Some people say Freud, I've heard 10 different people say this is their quote. Freud is the farthest I could take it back. 
where where the famous line is, you know, an uninterpreted uh, dream is like an unopened letter. And so, I mean, what could be more obvious, right? So here was a letter that I, I had to open it. Um, and, and so I, I opened the letter, it was addressed to me and I didn't, you know, it's hard to read in a dream. Um, that's because the left hemisphere is mostly offline and the right hemisphere is really, it's one way to tell, by the way, you can send a view out whether you're having an, an out-of-body experience or a hyperlucid dream because it's really hard to read in a dream. Um, and if you're having a true OBE, it's easier to read. So that's just a sidebar. But the one thing that, that I could tell is the letter was from my parents. And the reason I knew that is my parents are Eastern European and they have very succinct handwriting. So it's like, I didn't even need to read what, what they actually wrote. It was, I could tell it was their handwriting. And so it had to do with genetics um, and genetics here could be interpreted literally or it could be uh, interpreted as uh, Genesis origins. And so the whole thing was just packed with symbolism. Um, this whole thing about ICUs, um, intensive care units, which one of my friends, and this is where the second part of the dream I'll share comes into play. So the, the whole dream was incredibly rich and dense. And so here's where it got super interesting because the, the dream had such a wallop. Um, I, 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 I did like a, a cursory interpretation as I um, was entering it. I said, this is almost too blunt. There's gotta be more to it than this. Um, it can't be this obvious. And so I, I went to sleep and I, I basically incubated, I kind of supplicated another dream is basically like, you know, have help me have a dream that will help me explain and understand the first dream. I had never done that before. That was a first. And because it was 3 a.m., I figured, well, chances are pretty good. I'll be able to go back to sleep. And so, in fact, I went back to sleep. And in fact, I had a dream that they responded to this supplication. And this is also where it gets, there's so many things tied in here. On my flight out, I was flying out from Denver that day. I was reading Reggie Ray's fourth book on um, embodiment practices called Somatic Descent. And in that book, he has some really interesting things about the, the body, the wisdom of the body, and how you can, you can actually, he literally says you can supplicate your body um, as if it was... Uh, almost an independent entity. Um, and so that stuck with me. <clears throat> and so, and you know, I, I did it in that regard to ask for this dream. And so I had a second dream that came in that was perfect because what the second dream was about was you need to call on your dream advisors to help you with this one. Um, and I have a number of, of really very, very talented, I hate to use the word elite, because that makes them seem somehow too elitist. But I have some, some dreamers that are like, you know, like Fariba, Claire Johnson, dear, dear friends that are really sophisticated dreamers and really sophisticated dream interpreters. And, and so what I did was that morning, I, I packaged my dream. I asked, he said, hey, I had this really wild set of dreams. You know, is there a chance you could help me unpack these? And they, they, they said, yeah, for sure. And so I sent them the dream and their comments were phenomenally helpful. I mean, it, it was like a, the, the dream for me was so close, so impactful, I couldn't see it. And so their nuances, uh, literally from around the world, their ability to read it and interpret it was just tremendously helpful. And so I share this for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, I don't talk a whole lot about dream interpretation because that's a whole completely different arena of working with the dreaming mind 
it's fantastic. I don't diss it at all. I just don't really work with it that much. And so this, this set of dreams was super cool because it kind of brought back that avenue, a little bit more classical avenue of working with dreams, the interpretive end. So that was cool. And then the idea of, of actually supplicating a dream to help me understand the first dream. I'd never done that. And then, you know, to get this thing to say, hey, you know, ask for help, ask, ask for help. And so my buds and my peeps came back with just the most insightful comments um, about what this thing may actually mean. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you because um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to share more. <laughs> Generally not my style, but um, I'm trying to get out of my comfort zone and share a little bit. So anyway, that's what I have to say for today. Amazing, this world of dreams. So a, a bunch of really cool questions came in. Um, let me read a couple of these to you. And then as usual, we'll open it up. So, um, so here's one from Anas. And, and please excuse me if I don't pronounce your names properly, A-N-A-S. Uh, can one develop any superpowers or abilities through meditation? <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can become a total superhero. You can become a total superhero with your dreams, not with your dreams, with meditation. Um, by superpower, I mean anything that cannot be explained scientifically yet. <clears throat> Absolutely, positively. Yeah, you can develop what are, what are called the relative cities through meditation. And also, by the way, dream yoga. Dream yoga cultivates the same thing. But even shamatha, even high level shamatha, um, which is still within the realm of you know, refined samsara, Absolutely, positively, you can develop these powers of clairaudience, clairvoyance, super audition. I mean, there's all, all these different classic lists of capabilities that one can develop. Meditation absolutely, positively does that. And my friend Chris Wallace talks about this interestingly. He, he says that, you know, we, we tend to think of people that have these so-called psychic abilities as somehow being, you know, really special. And on one level, they're special. But the way he talks about it, that's really, I think, makes a lot of sense is that they're just so open. You know, meditation is habituation to openness. And, you know, long-term meditators are just so open. They're so transparent. They're so sensitive that they literally classically develop what are called the five eyes. That's one thing we we're talking about in the book study group, the five sets of divine eyes that can literally see you know, all these amazing distances. They can see through people, they can see through things. Um, and so the literature is absolutely replete with uh, affirmations of this sort of thing, but they don't really tout it. They don't advertise it a ton because these are byproducts of meditation. Otherwise it, you can get stuck in a kind of sorcerer's trap where, you know, oh, geez, oh, my I'm gonna meditate because I wanna develop these superpowers. Well, I mean, you know, that kind of defeats the whole purpose. And so the traditions don't tout this stuff because that's the wrong ambition. The, these relative cities are just byproducts. The most important is what's called absolute city. That's what's really important. But can you develop this through meditation? Absolutely, positively, as you can with dream yoga. Okay. Alrighty, so yeah, there's some good ones here. So Ernie, uh, sometimes as I look back on my life, I'm discouraged when I think of the negative karma I've created for myself and others. I should, I'm, that's the other thing, I'm supposed to speak slower. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, this is my new year's resolution, two things, to share more, which is really hard for me, and to speak slower, which is probably even more painful. So 
sometimes as I look back on my life, <laughs> there has to be a middle way in there somewhere. Okay, sometimes as I look back on my life, I can't see you, but I can see Andy and he's sitting here like, no, don't do that. By the way, if you're new to this group, sometimes I do get a little goofy on this. That's the other thing. There's three things I'm doing this year, trying to be a little bit less serious, trying to share more, trying to slow down. <clears throat> sometimes as I look back on my life, I am discouraged when I think of the negative karma I have created for myself and others. What do you recommend as ways of thinking about and acting on these feelings? Well, first of all, um, good for you that you even have that level of recognition because most people, I mean, they wouldn't even enter their event horizon. So just the fact that you mentioned that is really great. That's a, a really important factor of renunciation <clears throat> and uh, sometimes stronger terms, revulsion, revulsion for samsara. De the word in Tibetan is translated as definite emergence. Renunciation as wanting to emerge away and out from these negative ways of being. So first thing is pat yourself on the back and um, give yourself just a little bit, but you know, again, not too much that, wow, you know, I'm at least thinking of this. Most people don't even think of this. So renunciation is a really good thing. Um, I mean, it led Milarepa, you know, the, that's why it's helpful to read these hagiographies, as they're called, the sacred biographies. You know, Milarepa did some pretty bad things, right? He like, don't worry about some negative karma here, Ernie. Milarepa killed 37 people. I kind of don't think you've done that. So Milarepa killed 37 people. And he realized at a certain point, whoa, I am in some serious karmic doo-doo. And, and basically he used that. I mean, here, here's the, I think I have it from memory. He, he used um, the, the, his contemplation on, on karma and death to basically lead to his enlightenment. So the quote is like, in horror of death, basically in horror of my karma, I fled to the mountains contemplating again and again on the uncertainty in the hour of death, I captured the fortress of the deathless unending nature of mind. Thus all fear of death is over and done with. So the idea there is that he contemplated his karma. He contemplated that it, dro it drove and developed this renunciation for samsara and it drove him to retreat. And basically um, because his view is so powerful and he realized the repercussions of his acts, it led, it led him into, you know, blast furnace 12 years of retreat that led to his complete awakening. And he's revered throughout all of Buddhism because of this, this kind of conviction. So the thinking about it is, you know, think, think of it in terms of renunciation. Also think of it, um, you know, the, the, in terms of metta, maitri, that we have to have tremendous kindness towards ourselves that, you know, we, we've been trained in, in these negative ways, you know, raised um, in cultures and in families that really unfortunately propagate this materialistic view. And from that is born all the repercussions of materialism. Um, and so you're not the only one, my friend, I mean, everybody. So reflect on it with kindness, with metta, with Maitri. Don't beat yourself up on it, um, about it. It happened in the past can't do much about that. So on one level, 
let it go. Now is, what are you going to do with it now? Well, use that like Milarepa did. I, now I'm going to do something good with my life. Now let's do some good things. Let's help others. Let's create good karma. Let's transcend karma altogether. So you basically, you want to lessen the default of the negative approaches, which takes a little bit of time because those grooves are cut pretty deep. Individually, those are deep grooves, culturally, socially, globally, there's these deep grooves and, and we default into them. And so therefore, um, we want to lessen that. This is the idea of what to accept and what to reject. Reject those activities, behaviors, lifestyles that bring damage to yourself and others and cultivate those that bring benefit to self and other. So um, yeah, I mean, good for you for seeing it, Ernie. And, and that's one way I would work with this. Okay, bro. All right, Joni. If you have an angry thought, yeah, this is somewhat connected actually. If you have an angry thought, feel the anger or agitated by it, but don't act on it. Does that create any negative karma? Or does it help burn karma uh, because you let go, at least temporarily? Yes. Um, if you have an angry thought, feel it, agitated by it, but don't move on it, that does not create karma. Um, this is really important. You can, you can wake up feeling like total crap. And so, um, you know, this is a little bit of a, an admonition for tonight. <laughs> Otherwise, tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up feeling like total crap. <laughs> Don't drink too much. Um, if you wake up feeling like total crap, that does not create karma. That's the result of karma. It doesn't create karma. Karma is, is brought about by reactivity, intentionality. And so if, in fact, like Joni's saying, if you have a so-called angry thought, um, and if you just let it be, let it self-liberate and, and let it kind of burn through you, which sometimes is not so easy. Um, you know, we can take this even further from simple thoughts to these big emotional upheavals when things like entire, not, not just merely thoughts, but entire samskaras are being released and, and purified. If you can sit in that blast furnace and, and not act from it, relate to it, um, which is not easy. You, you're purifying absolutely positively. It, it self-liberates. So, you know, if, you, if you're watching your mind and all this so-called negative stuff is coming up, that's the fruition result of previous karma. It does not create necessarily any new karma. The new karma is created by an inappropriate relationship to that arising. So if you just stay with it, don't act on it, it will self-liberate, it purifies. And eventually it, the, the entire kind of creo, the entire um, groove of that stream, that will also eventually pacify. You'll have less of those thoughts. They will have less impact on you. And eventually your mind gets lighter, freer. Um, and then thoughts will continue to arise, but your relationship to them is such that it's like snowflakes falling on a hot rock. It just has no impact, it has no impact. No karma is created. No, um, Trungpa Rinpoche puts it this way, but this image comes in the, from the traditions as well. Good and bad, happy and sad, all thoughts vanish into emptiness like the imprint of a bird in the sky. 
That's the way you want your thoughts to be. Good and bad, happy and sad, angry and mad. All thoughts vanish into emptiness like the imprint of a bird in the sky. Well, the bird doesn't leave an imprint. It doesn't leave a, car a karmic footprint. That's the kind of imprint you want. No imprint, like a, like a bird flying through the sky in your mind. Okay. All right. So, oh yeah, some of these are kind of long. All right, that's okay. Um, from Nicole. If one understands, yeah, the first part of this, I read through this and, and Nicole, I, I just simply do not understand the first part of this question. So if you're here, when I'm done blabbing and come on and clarify it for me, I can answer it, but I just didn't get it. I'll read it anyway. If one understands what they grappled with, I don't understand who the they is. Um, if one understands what they grappled with prior to rebirth, and perhaps how they died in there, who's, the, who's there? That's what I don't understand. And, and how they died in their previous cycle, does this knowledge wisdom mean they have recognized the luminous state of the Dharmata? I just don't understand that. Um, so if you're on the call and can clarify that for me, that's awesome. The second part, I think I do understand. Or is this state devoid? Is the, is the Dharmata devoid of feelings of longing, desire, and clinging? It is definitely free of those adventitious defilements, for sure. The dharmata is, is, is shentong, empty of other, which means it's empty of all these adventitious negative, so-called negative states, for sure. It's, uh, it's free of longing. Like longing is interesting because that's a little bit, that's, that longing could be a positive quality. It's, it's replete, the dharmata is Full. It's empty of negative qualities, but it's full of positive qualities. So it is devoid of feelings of desire clinging. Also, is it possible for one to recall the experience that they had? Again, I don't know who's they. Uh, also, is it possible for one to recall the experience that they had been rejected from one of the Pure Lands or the Bardas? I, I just don't understand that. Um, so maybe if you're on, you can come and help me understand your question. But what I do understand, what I do take, or at least can address, is just that the dharmata, clear light mind, Buddha nature, um, empty of um, all negative, adventitious, secondary defilements, but completely full, replete of love, wisdom, compassion, kindness, goodness, and the rest of it. Unfortunately, I just don't understand. Uh, okay, so. Let's see here. There's a couple more. Beatrice, if every if everything, quote unquote, is frozen light, does that mean that our bodies, ourselves, our words, our thoughts are also frozen light? Or are we in our world being dreamed by a higher consciousness, i.e. the clear light? How to connect these two metaphors? Well, yeah, so Yes, on one level, everything is the clear light. I mean, literally, like right now, look, look up, look around, look at your body, look at the room, look at anything. It's all clear light mind. So when we talk about frozen light, that's reified light. You know, this is, we have to think metaphorically here, right brain kind of thinking. Don't get too literal with this frozen light thing. 
Um, we're talking about the light of the mind. And, and that's when, when you reify, that's, that's what frozen means in this case. When you reify that light, that luminosity, and again, that's just what we're discussing in the book study group. The whole second part of the book that we're going through right now is exactly on this topic. How it is that the clear light mind, if it isn't recognized for what it is, that lack of recognition, i.e. non-lucidity in the deepest sense, that reifies it, that, that's what freezes it. So it's not, it's not dreamt by a, we're not dreamed by a higher consciousness kind of in the simulation hypothesis thing. Um, we're not dreamed by higher consciousness in that regard. But if you're talking about dream, again, this is, this is somewhat subtle stuff. If you're talking about dream as kind of code language for manifestation of mind, then yes, on that level, you can say everything is dreamed by that higher consciousness, by that it's not even consciousness. It's, it's consciousness is negative, right? That's a pejorative term. It's, it's radiant non-dual mind. So um, I hope that addresses that. You know, every, everything is frozen light in that regard. It's, it's reified luminosity, reified clear light mind, for sure. Um, are we dreamed by higher consciousness? Not in the sense of something, you know, out there separate from us. No, in that sense, no. Dreamed, if everything is, if you talk about dream is radiance, manifestation, shine of the clear light mind, then in that regard, yes. So a uh, little bit hard to answer some of these questions without dialogue, um, but that's the best I can do with that. And then here's a really good long one from Peter. I can't read the whole thing, my bud because this thing is super long. I can get to the essence of it. What Peter asks, which is a really good question, is how to deal with the hyperbole, the, the sometimes exaggerated statements in the literature. And, and I have to say, I wrestled with this as well. He's talking about Patra Rinpoche's book, Words of My Perfect Teacher. It's not the only one. There are dozens and dozens of texts that just speak in this hyperbolic, exaggerated way. And, and here's, I mean, the classic examples that I got tripped on was, you know, what is taller? The bones from all your previous lives or the highest mountain on the earth, Mount Everest. I've been to Mount Everest, which by the way, they just remeasured it after the earthquake. <laughs> 29,033 feet. This is a really big mountain. And so I've been there, I've been to base camp, I've been above base camp several times. And I was up there contemplating, I said, man, this is, this is like, you know, what, five miles high? You know, that's a lot of bones. And so I got into this hysterical little riff. Well, I suppose if you took all the bones, there's like how many 225 bones in your body? And I got into this hysterical riff, probably from high altitude sickness, you know, it, it, I was at 22,000 feet. So I figured, well, if we took all those bones and we like, you know, put them on top of each other, right? So like the long bone from my humerus and my radius, all, you know, if we like line them all the way up, <laughs> maybe, maybe we could reach six miles high worth of bones. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's hyperbolic. It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor. And then the other one is, oh, what, what, is, what is vaster? The, the, the ocean of tears I have shed throughout previous lives or the, or the waters of the oceans around the world. Greater by far are the oceans of tears you have shed. And so I have to say, originally, um, 
I, I thought it was literal. I, you know, the idea here is you take it seriously, but don't take it literally. I thought it was literal. I said, oh my God, I mean, that's a heck of a lot of tears, right? <laughs> and so finally, you know, I asked my teacher and uh, he kind of chuckled and he said, no, 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 no. He said, this, this is just metaphor, it's just metaphor. So here, these are heuristics, these are teaching tools. Um, and this is where the notion of cultural translation comes into play, that these, these kind of images worked back then. And for some people today, they have no issue with this. I'm a little bit more, you know, scientifically oriented. I tend to take things a little bit more uh, literally and that's the problem. So don't take it, take it seriously, but don't take it literally. Um, this is a cultural translation issue. Think of it more uh, again, as, as almost like a dream or um, kind of poetic rendering. But I'm with you, Peter. I, I used to read this stuff and, it, and, and on one level for me, it actually kind of dinged the credibility. And it's like, well, wait a second. I mean, that's, that's not, that, there's no way that could be. And so it actually affected me adversely. And it's like, ah, these people don't know what they're talking about. But that was just my issue, not theirs. Um, so we have to culturally translate this stuff as well. So don't get caught up in the hyperbole. Okay, there's one, one more here and then we open it up to you. This is basically an invitation from Barbara to, yeah, this is cool, oh, cool. open year, let me read this. Um, wondering if you could post, Andy, if you could post this, that's cool. Um, this open invitation, New Year's Heart Sutra recitation for global healing. Yeah, I mean, why not? Better than drinking tonight, do some recitation. Um, yeah, Nalanda Bodhi International. I'm a huge fan of Nalanda Bodhi. In fact, I think I might've been Pondok Rinpoche who, who, who corrected me about this hyperbole thing. Yeah, this is a great organization. So no problem at all. So I think Andy can post that. Can you do that for me, bud? So I don't have to say too much about it. You can go onto this link and it's a way, um... well, that's the other thing around this stuff, you know? Yeah, here's the other one where, you know, oh, if you do, and again, I, I have to be a little careful here when you do on these power charge, like Sawadawa, all these, um, Sakadawa, all these power days, when whatever you do is magnified a million times. Uh, I, I'm a little bit more agnostic on that. Maybe, I, I'm not, who am I to say? Who am I to say that it's not? But um, doesn't seem to work for me. <laughs> this, this is just me. Totally my style, totally my confession. Um, somebody out there could absolutely say, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. This stuff is absolutely magnified a million times. Uh, again, I'm a little bit like, I think it's a wonderful metaphor. Yes, a great day to do this. So I'm agnostic on that one. Um, but you know, New Year's, there, there are these PowerPoints for sure. Um, whether they're, you know, magnified a million times. Well, why isn't it 1 million like 0.1? I mean, why is it just like 1 million? So I think you get where I'm coming from. Um, but there are, you know, to, to recite mantras and stuff doing these, during these particularly charged times, fantastic. You know, the, the fact that I had, this may seem to counteract what I just said, but the fact that I had this super powerful dream on, on a conjunction episode, you know, there, there absolutely positively is something to these conjunctions, to these astrological thingies. 
for sure, no doubt, 100%. I'm not contesting that. What I am, again, this is just my style. For me, it doesn't work when they say, oh, this will you know, multiply it a million times. Um, it's just like, okay, that's, that's, that's nice, um, but I'm not so sure about that. I hope you get what I'm saying here. And if not, come on board and uh, we can have some Dharma combat. Um, uh, by the way, this is called, uh, this is the conversation I had with um, Yusef, the difference between greater jihad and lesser jihad. You know, lesser jihad is, is the holy war that you see, this, this territorial um, combat that happens, unfortunately, um, often attributed, you know, to the Muslim thing. Um, greater jihad is, is Dharma combat, um, working within, and, and anyway, that's a different sidebar. The fourth thing I'm trying to do this year, gosh, my New Year's resolution just keeps getting bigger. Try not to insert so many parenthetical interjections in my stream of thought. I might as well just give up right now. I mean, there's just no way I can make these resolutions. <laughs> so anyway, welcome everybody. I got about half an hour and then I got to start drinking. So um, please come on and ask some questions, offerings and, and the like. And if, if any of these people who I, I answered these questions that they want clarification, more than welcome to come on. All right. Um, yeah, we've got some raised hands and some live chat questions. So let's start with the raised hands. Uh, we'll bring in Alejandro first, followed by Verena. Hi, 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 um, um, Andrew, hi, Andy. Uh, I can I can see I just Andrew disappear. Oh my god, I can see him. Well, I guess he's there. Sorry. Have a change the rainbow body, buddy. Oh, okay, you're there. Okay. <laughs> I don't <laughs> you just disappeared. <laughs> so hi, hi Andrew. I'm, I'm so I I'll try to be brief. Okay. I'm I'm so grateful and happy to be here last year last day of the year i just want to say a massive massive thank you to you because ever since i saw the the webinar turning obstacles into opportunities it's been such a game metaphysical changer in my life it's it, it's crazy it's seriously crazy what's going on uh, what brings me to my next point I ever since I, I I'm 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 having simul, uh, simultaneously several process here. I'm 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 getting deeper into my meditation practice. I'm discovering lucid dreaming on the side, and I'm recovering for thirty years or so of uh, abuse of cannabis and other substances. Mm -hmm. So it's everything happening, you know, and and oh boy. My dreams are ever since I started meditating. When I saw those webinars, I ramp it up to three times a day. Now these days I'm two times, sometimes even one time, you know. Uh, but that I don't know how to explain it. Seriously, I I'm gonna go case by case. I I, I thought, okay, this is great. I I want to see a Buddha. I want to see a, doom, a Buddha in my dream time, you know? Hey, you, you know the best way to see a Buddha? What? Uh, look in the mirror. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm serious, bud. Bro, I'm serious. This is my New Year's gift to you. 
Look at really? the you're you're the Buddha. You just don't know it yet. I'm I'm actually not being smart alecky here. The, that's 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 crazy because no, that's Drew, happened no, to me. No, Drew, I'm telling you, the only difference between sentient beings, which are confused beings, and Buddhas is recognition. The Buddhas just simply recognize their Buddhas. We don't. So if you want to meet the Buddha, just look in the mirror and and, and say, dude. You've been in front of me, you, you know, it's been here the whole bloody effing time. It's just, oh, wow, Buddha right here, right? And so it's like, let me just tell you, share you this little cartoon. So there's my, one of my favorite cartoons. Again, no criticism for Christianity. I, I'm, I still have tremendous respect for the Christian tradition. So no, no criticism, but it's a cool cartoon. So the cartoon is there's a, there's a, a Christian monk holding a big sign, big sign that says Christ is coming. And then behind him is a little Buddhist monk holding a very tiny little card that says, Buddha here now. Buddha <laughs> here now. So the Buddha is here right now, dude. Anyway, little sidebar. Look in the mirror if you want to meet the Buddha. There he is. That, 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 that what you're saying is so crazy because I'm, uh, this is your reminder. Once in my bad experience with alcohol, I got a, a bottle broken in my head in a fight, you know? I still have like a massive scar here. So the days after, I, I had this dream where I saw my body laying down dead on the ground. And I thought, well, if that's me, no, first I thought, oh, oh my God, I'm dead. I, I need to put my body back on. So I tried and I couldn't. And I said, if, if that's me there, so who the hell am I now? Right, good question. And, and then there was a mirror in the, in the, in the, in the, in the dream. And I turned, I turned to see the mirror and I saw light. That's awesome. That's awesome. Beautiful. So, that's what you say. And that's kind of the first time I saw that light. I've seen that light more than once now. It's, it's crazy, but it's crazy. I I'm telling you, it's crazy. That's but, good. But let me tell you, this, I, I first dreamt of a, a wooden Buddha. Female Buddha or wooden? Wooden, 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 wooden a statue. Yeah. So, so I wake up, I say, there you go. There's, there's your Buddha. It was almost like a joke from my subconscious mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You wanted to see a Buddha? There's a Buddha. Yeah. And, and then afterwards, uh, I'm serious. I, I've been holding this back from you because I don't want to sound pretentious. But I think it's time I, I let it out. I, I, at some stage, I, I felt, I, I saw this being of light visiting me. And I was talking to him or it. And I don't remember what I spoke, what I talked with him, you know? And this is, and then uh, I wake up and the feeling I had towards this being, it's kind of the feeling I have for my best friend ever multiplied thousand times it is right. like this this feeling and then i felt all blessed and you know so and i thought 
do I got to see a Buddha now? Was this a Buddha? And there is no way of, 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 of knowing. And I need to say at this point that I'm a skeptic. I, I, I think that this is probably my mind just producing the things that are in my intention. I don't know. I don't know. And just to finish, because I could go on and on. And yeah, we have to be. We have to be a little sensitive to all the people that are waiting to ask a question. No, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. I love your stuff. It's it's just okay. A small... Okay, no, no. So that that's it. That's it. Yeah. No. You, I, what do you the, think? What, what's happening? Oh, no, I love it. I love the image of looking to see, looking in the mirror, and seeing the light. I mean, that's just awesome. So, whatever you're doing, my friend, keep going, and always remember that these. Um, experiences are always kind of um, held within the embrace of tremendous kindness, compassion, and humility. And so don't forget my advice from last time that um, doing volunteering work, remember? Um, hospice, um, that's, you know, I rarely give direct advice, but that's my fifth, my fifth resolution for this year. Um, don't don't forget to do something like that because it's you know we always do this work. It's not just for ourselves. Fundamentally, we're doing it for the benefit of others. Um, and so, always keep that in mind. That is as beautiful as this stuff is, as fantastic as it feels. Um, we don't want to get stuck in in those kind of candy states of of spiritual mind. We we always want to remember that we're doing this for the service of others. And sometimes we you me as well, my friend. Sometimes we need crowbars to get off our cushions, to get out of our libraries and to get out on the streets and, and literally help people at, at the street level. So um, that's my only recommendation. And I, I share that with you because it's something that I have to work with as well. So in a certain way, I'm, I'm giving you advice that I myself try to maintain. Do what you're doing, but do it in the service of others. Okay, Amigo? Thank, thank you very much. I wanted to go over my homework, but there's Next no time. Yeah. Next time. Yeah. Thank you very much. Happy New Year, my friend. Thanks, Alex. Okay, next we'll bring in Verena and then Sonia. I'm here. Hi. Uh, hi. Uh, we can hear you. We can see you. Oh, you can see me. Okay, great. Hi, Andrew. I met you four or five years ago in a program on uh, preparing to die. And I've been following you and everything. And I have two things today. Uh, I would like to thank you for the, uh, for the meditation on open awareness. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, it helped me an awful lot. I do uh, Tara. Uh, uh, pro, uh, 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 the tarot practices and it helped me a lot. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I, I made a leap in that practice so uh, that's helpful and I have uh, a thing about my dreams and um, I've done a lot of teamwork in Switzerland with the Jungian psychologist and uh, we never talked about lucid dreaming Right. Uh, that was in the 80s. And now, as far as I re remember, I in about half of my dreams, I do 
think and then make a decision and act. And I was wondering, I have, could tell you many, many uh, uh, examples. Is this a form of lucid dreaming? Yeah, yes and no. Um, if you're not actively aware, I mean, lucidity is, is occurs across the spectrum and it's a term used in, in, in ways. Um, if you are actually not consciously aware at the time that you're doing it, because it sounds like from what I'm hearing from you, that yes, you're making decisions, yes, you are doing certain things, but this is a kind of a retrospective, you know, you wake up from the dream, you look back on it, and then you make that call. Yeah. That may be a lucid dream in the sense of the dream being clear. It's not a lucid dream in the sense that you're actually awake in the dream and making those decisions very directly, very overtly, very consciously. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's very interesting. You mentioned the Carl Jung thing. Carl, as you know, he was an incredibly sophisticated dreamer. Yeah. He knew all about lucid dreaming, but he was very careful um, to endorse it because he saw the, the potential for self-aggrandizement for egoic inflation with lucid dreams. Um, and so he was very cautious. That's why you won't find too many renderings of that term in his literature. So it sounds like to me, like it was a retrospectively fitted um, thing. And so therefore it wasn't lucid in that strict sense, but that again, doesn't in any way dismiss the validity of that type of dream. It's yeah. just for purposes of articulation, lucid dreams have a, a quite a specific definition. Right, because I, I tried to walk backwards through a wall. I thought, well, that's easy. But when I'm in the dream, I forget it. But then I had a dream figure who walked backwards through a wall. Oh, nice. And so you had that direct intention when you were in the dream to do that? Is that what you're saying? Or Well, before I went to sleep, I always think I want to walk through a wall backwards. Okay. And then I, I, I in my dream, this woman... Uh, was in front of me and she had no no face and she was in distress and I asked her what happened to you and she got agitated and I thought well I can't ask her an open-minded question I have to uh, uh, ask her a yes or no question and I asked her uh, are you in pain and she got even more agitated and she walked backwards out of the room and I went to I went through a doorway uh, and there was a man standing and uh, he smiled at me and I told him, I just had a dream about a woman without a face and she was in distress. And he smiled and he nodded and I woke up and I thought, well, that's a, um, that's a nice and polite man. And then to my big surprise, I had, a, uh, I had an appointment with a new uh, cardiologist and there was this man, but I couldn't be 100% sure because he had a, a, a you know, a, a mask on. But, so um, I dream a lot and their dreams are interesting, but, uh, and I forget, I go to sleep, I dream, I, I think and everything, but I forget to walk through the wall. You right. know what? Yeah, that's pretty common. 
And so, yeah, I think if you just continue and, and work more specifically with, you know, dream incubation, I'm sorry, dream uh, induction methods. Yeah. In addition to just incubating that intention, which is fantastic, you know, incubate an even stronger intention to become lucid in the dream so that then you can make the very conscious decision that you're actually yeah. going to do this thing when you're, when you're fully awake in the dream. And that just ramps it up to a different level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm going towards the end of my life and uh, uh, I would like to work on, on my habits, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful statement. No kidding. That's a good, it ties into that earlier question, habit slash karma. Um, one of the best things you can do is in fact work right. Because otherwise what happens, you know, you're, if we don't take control, our habits take control. So I, I applaud you for that aspiration. I think it's a right on. I had a dream where I had a hissy fit, a really hissy fit, and I woke up and I, I, I thought, well, you know, you know the reason why, why that happens, you know, the, the source. And I went back to sleep and I had a dream where I kind of solved that issue. Fantastic. Yeah, you have a very rich relationship to your dream world. Yeah, and now I'm wondering, you know, I haven't had that occasion to get a hissy fit about that space. And I wonder whether I solved something. You might have, absolutely, positively. Yes. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. Happy New Year to you. Thank you for joining us. Beautiful yeah. stories. Appreciate it. Thanks, Marina. Okay, next let's bring in Sonia, and then I'll jump back to some of the chat questions. Oh, some more chat questions. Okay. Hello, Andrew and Andy. Happy New Year. Thank you for this. Um, always wonderful. So first I wanted to say something, um, Andrew. Uh, I have been listening to your audiobook. I do have the hard copy as well. And um, and probably you've been asked this dozens of times, but I haven't heard anyone ask it yet. But I would love it if you would record it with you narrating it for several reasons. First of all, you know the pronunciation of everything where all, not necessarily does a narrator understand that. And I, I see a few times where just I, I get caught a little bit on that imperfection and you would not have that. Secondly, I think there's a tremendous amount of um, personal energy I suspect you would riff on and on. It would be a much longer book, which I would love. Probably every listener would love. But that's something that I would hope that, I don't know why you're not doing it, actually. So it's not my call. Um, I, I would actually totally be up for it. But here, here's the thing in the publishing world. These, in fact, I ask sounds true. You know, why, why don't we do an audio book with me reading? And, and they, they simply say it's a little bit, I found it a little bit odd that um, they don't do that. Um, and so I did pitch for them. And then what happens is out, outside agencies come in and, and they, they're the ones, they have their readers, they, and, and you know, it, it's always very funny because then what happens is they all, they all write to me with lists of how do you pronounce these 60 words. Um, and so it's like, why don't you just have me read the damn book? So, it's not, it's really not my call. Um, so I appreciate the intention. I would like to do it because I agree with you. I love it when authors read their things. And for some reasons, oh. we just don't do it. So, well, I wonder if we all wrote to Sounds True and say, you know what? And Sounds True ought to actually have the 
deeper intuitive understanding that there's energy imparted with the voice like they i can't understand why they don't for some people they're not going to be good readers but you would be so that i don't i i mean i'm going to write to them and i think everyone should write to them and say i want andy andrew hollitzer reading his own books like that's how i'm going to buy more of you yes but now i I do actually have a question too, but actually I really hope that that can happen and re-recording because it would be so rich and so powerful. And so if you, what if you went off topic and didn't read it for a bit, I don't, you know, be, you would, and it would be great. That's one thing. Because especially as we do our book club, it's so incredible and rich. Now I have another one. You have in one of your many quotes, which are all excellent. um, You have quoted it many times, um, but, um, and I can't think of who it was right now. Essentially, it was uh, someone who had uh, stepped into being fully awakened and then used English language to tell us remaining humans what it's like. And you say, yeah, you know, I feel myself, the car, I'm the car driving away from me. I am the blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I would love it if you would perhaps extend that quote from your own experience, from your own deeper understanding, how that would be in terms of their this awakened experience in greeting and meeting other humans who are not fully awakened and how they're experiencing the other human being who's arising with their own, you know, Kunshi Namje, like their, their own beingness versus the consciousness manifest of the tree or the car or whatever, which, you know, comes from that consciousness, you know, is, is a is separate, but similar, but I, I don't, I'd love it if you, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great question. So, right. And it, it Several things come to mind. One is, you know, the way one would relate would depend on on the stability of um, their embodied capacity to relate. So in other words, what I mean by that, in in, in the language in the Hindu tradition, I find helpful here, because, you know, the sense of kind of unity, like the Krishnamurti quote, where, you know, I became the pickaxe, I became the car, I became the driver, I became the... That's, that's the experience of like Turiya, the fourth. And then what, what really becomes interesting is as fantastic as that is, um, and again, who, who knows? Um, I can't speak to Krishnamurti, but the fundamental fruition is that, but it's actually the ability to take that and then fully, like you're alluding to, at least what I'm hearing, fully embody it in the world, fully express it um, properly. And so, um, you know, direct me if I'm not going in the right direction. But it's it's the issue of transcending and including, where where you have those types of experience that that um, Krishnamurti is talking about. That's a transcendence part. But then what you do is you 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 have to include it in the world of form. And so therefore, what that means is that from your side, you know, the the traditions you you use some Buddhist language, so it sounds like you're a student. They talk about self-appearance and other appearance. So from your side, you, so to speak, there isn't one, but from your side, you never leave that space. You're, you're, you are always um, abiding as the clear light mind. But there's the only people that will connect with you at that level are the Supreme Sangha. That's the Dharmakaya. It's called the ear, the thought lineage transmission. And so you, you, on a certain level, that frequency only communicates with others at that level of realization. So then what you have to do is you have to step down, so to speak. That's where the other appearance comes in. And and so therefore you never lose it, but skillful means comes into play 
in, in terms of expressing it properly in relationship to those around you. And, and the really beautiful thing about that is if it's done, if it's actualized properly, it's completely effortless, spontaneous, natural expression of that capacity. You know, you, you literally just respond spontaneously, communicate spontaneously at a level that is, is completely workable for the person um, that you're relating to. So is that kind of what you're asking? Is that what you're after or am I missing it? Well, that's very interesting for sure. But I'm wondering on a more um, literal relative level. So let's say his holiness and we can say that he's an enlightened being and manifesting as how I perceive him as being, um, you know, um, the Dalai Lama. And he sees, uh, let's say me, an ordinary being. And he is at once seeing my Buddha nature. And he sees also my ignorance layered on that because I don't see my own Buddha nature perfectly. Um, but I have my independent thought experiences and he's no doubt feeling compassion for my ignorance and lack of full awareness and, and sending me love and all the stuff he's doing, but he's not controlling what I'm thinking, but he is like, he, he's feeling like cars are like him and experience, but the other human beings who have a level of consciousness, what I'm wondering is how does the awakened being, um, perceive and interact like are they just reading everything and but they still sort of enact being like a relative human and talk to me like he'll say oh hello and namaste and so on but that kind of thing like on a literal physical like relative level if I wanted to start imagining this myself like if I wanted to start faking it till I make it yeah does well, that make sense yeah sort of I think you know on one level it's it's literally inconceivable so we can finger paint a little uh, no one really knows until you until you live from that space. But it's, I, I think what you're saying is true that they, first of all, they they can they will be able to read your thoughts. They can't change them necessarily. They they can't really purify your karma necessarily. But you know they will be able to manifest in these inconceivable ways in in relationship. Um, in the capacity, in relationship to the capacity of the people that they're around, right? And so uh, I'm not sure how much further I can run with this one. That okay. you know, it's, it really is, it's, it's an inconceivable way of relating where, you know, they, they have on one level, this fundamental interconnectivity. They realize, like you're saying, that on that, on that foundational spectrum of their being, they realize, you know, we're all Buddhas just that the sentient being I'm relating to doesn't recognize it. So they have that underlying constant recognition. And then on top of that come the skillful means. That's where wisdom comes in. I mean, I'm sorry, that's where compassion comes in. That's where the actual application of that wisdom comes in. And then how that takes place is completely idiosyncratic to the situation. It, it's really, it's different under all circumstances. So it's, it's, you can make some general types of comments around these sorts of things, but they're so highly individual that it's hard to make generalizations. It's one reason, by the way, parenthetically, why Trungpa Rinpoche's teachings are difficult to read. They're fantastic when you're there in person because he's, they're so situational that they have inconceivable impact when you're there. But when you try to read them 30 years later, I have a hard time reading some of the stuff. I, you know, I wasn't there. And so, Something like that. There, there's everything is so completely okay. situational. Okay. They're exquisitely sensitive dancers. 
where they let the phenomenal world lead that dance. And so this is, you know, there's, at the center of the mandala is what? The Buddha mind that, that can take on any one of these family qualities. And so they abide at the center of that mandala, but then they manifest spontaneously in any one of the directions, using that metaphor, any, any, any kind of familial expression that is necessary in order to be a, be a benefit to other beings. But these are, you know, when you start talking about how, to, how the Buddhists behave, see, I mean, literally the teachings will, will tell you it's inconceivable. Um, literally anything you can possibly imagine it to be, it's, it's even more than that. But maybe finger painting, something like that. Okay. Thank you. Very uh, beautiful. Thank you very much. Happy New Year. See you at Menla in the next couple of days. Yeah, cool. Oh, that's right. Saturday. Fun. Yeah, okay. that's awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Sonia. All right. Let me read some chat questions. This is from Tim. I'm trying to get a clear understanding of all these concepts and terms. Can you please tell me the difference between Hinayana and Mahayana definitions in Buddhism? I'm not sure, sure I get the distinction. Yeah, um, yeah, Hinayana is a, it, literally lesser, narrow vehicle. It's a pejorative term. I mean, mostly connected to the Theravadan tradition. Um, yeah, the kind of a narrow vehicle is, is a, at best, you certainly don't want, it, when they talk about lesser vehicle, it's, I think that's an unfortunate translation. You're like, I belong to the tradition of the lesser vehicle, right? I don't think so. So, but that's what it means. Mahayana means great vehicle, wide vehicle, and then Vajrayana. Um, what I might strongly recommend, because this, this material is full of Sanskrit, Tibetan terms, um, I might recommend the Princeton um, Dictionary of Buddhism. It was recently released by Donald Lopez and uh, Buzzwell. Um, I think Robert is his first name. It's by far the best dictionary out there yet. It's like 900, I don't know how big it is, it's big. And it's unbelievably thorough. So basically Hinayana, Southern schools, um, Theravadan, there are 18 original Theravadan um, kind of uh, approaches. Um, it's more in, in the schema, it's, it's more literal, it, um, more, pays homage, direct homage to the sutras. Um, it's called lesser and narrow because in, in the Mahayana Vajrayana traditions, it's, it's really about working with ourselves. Start with ourselves. Mahayana expanded, um, opened. It propagated widely throughout Asia, translated into China, Korea, Vietnam. Um, Zen came from that. Larger Maha great, um, where it's not just us, about us now, it's about others. The Bodhisattva ideal came into play. So um, again, this is a really, to really unpack this would quite literally take an entire course, but something along those lines. The other really good rendering on this is Reggie Ray's, um, the first of his two volumes, Indestructible Truth. The, the entire book is on Hinayana Mahayana. So I might recommend um, for the purposes of time today that you look at those. But really, sooner or later, some type of dictionary, um, some, um, there are a number of them that are out there, but the Princeton one, I, I find to be, uh, Oxford has one now as well. There's a ton. At a certain point, it's really helpful to have these um, because there's gonna be, a, if, you're, if you're at all interested in this stuff, obviously there's a ton of terminology 
and really good dictionaries will help. Um, and also a little bit of just Google searching will help. So, but briefly, my friends, something like that. Okay. All right, this is from Eve. I was surprised when I read in the Lucid Dream workbook that it's difficult to read in dreams because although the words in my dreams are indeed mostly nonsensical, I, regular, I regularly read while dreaming. Similarly, in both my liminal and dream states, I regularly hear passages of music that seem to cut in between images. I was wondering if you could riff a bit on words and sounds in dreams. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot there generally because mostly the left hemisphere is, is, is kind of sedated, right hemisphere takes over. Most people find it quite a bit harder to read in, in a lucid dream state, but maybe you're um, different, you know, maybe you just have that capacity. Um, so I think that's one thing that's important is that these are somewhat generalized comments that the, my experience bears out and literature explains, but they may not apply to everybody. In, in terms of like, you know, music, I'm not quite sure what to say there, um, unless you can somehow come online and say a little bit more on that, I'm not quite sure where to take it. You know, in the liminal space, when, when we start to kind of come unglued, so to speak, it's a really interesting space, as you know, um, snippets of sounds, uh, images, whatever, all kinds of things can kind of, kind of pour through. And um, yeah, I'm just not sure where to run with the music thing. So if you're actually there and can add more around that, um, yeah. I mean, musicians, so, you know, music is, is big, but music is, you know, even music itself is just, is just thought, it, it's a form of mind. So um, it's not that terribly different from thought. Um, and does it manifest in the dream? It's in terms of its content, unless you have something more specific to add or ask around that, I'm, I just, I'm not quite sure where to run with it. It's just a little opaque to me. Yeah, I'll bring in Eve uh, to comment. Hey, Andrew. Um, Hi. So my question wasn't just about music and also um, it was about locutions as well. Okay. Uh, both in my liminal states while dreaming um, and my dream states, I'll regularly like hear just like either passages of music, it's usually classical music, um, or I'll hear like sometimes like what seems to me like poetry or just sounds, um, words. Sure. Um, and they seem to kind of like interweave themselves between the dream images. And I'm just curious if that's just, I guess the way my dream mind works or if they're just by nature actually different. No, by nature, they're not different. I think it's just the way your mind works. And um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, you know, the unconscious uh, and subconscious, not quite the same thing. Those contents are just being released. And, the, you know, this, this can also happen in meditation. Sometimes when people are meditating, it, you know, they'll enter these spaces and, and all these kind of music uh, uh, melodies, rhythms, even songs altogether will come to mind. So there's no, there's no, not necessarily any direct um, uniqueness around that outside of it's just the particular signature of your own mind. Um, you know, you probably spend a lot of time with this, obviously. Um, and, and so it would, it would be perhaps a little bit more interesting if you had no interest in music, no interest in that, and, and all of a sudden it started kind of piping in. That might actually be a little bit more interesting. Um, again, interesting in the sense of, oh, wow, that's curious. 
But in terms of these expressions, it's all, it, I think what you said is, is it, it's just idiosyncratic. It's just the signature of your own heart mind expressing itself that way. Okay. I was vaguely worried that it was like my ego was resisting going into a more relaxed, deeper well, state so much, you know? So my interesting comment, because sometimes the music can seem a little bit more elevated than traditional thought and, and you, and you figure, oh, because it's, it's, you know, art or, or poetry and music, somehow that's in a different category. No, Trumpet was actually very clear about this, that at that level, it's just all manifestation, content, expression of mind, and it should be related as such. And so in that respect, what you're saying, that's actually an interesting comment, that it could be, in fact, ego, you know, trying to somehow subvert by inserting something that seems a little bit more elevated. It's just more mm -hmm. elevated level of distraction. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Thank <laughs> you. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Welcome. Thanks, Eve. All right. Um, Maybe one or two more than I, I actually do have to run. So we'll pick it up next week. Okay, we'll go from a chat question and then we'll end with a live question. Okay. So this is from Sandra. I'm new to lucid dreaming and to the group. I started reading your book, Dream Yoga, and I've been falling into dreamless stages quite often and I go blank. I'm not sure what to do or how to be aware of this stage. Yeah. Yes, going blank, um, dreamless doesn't always mean um, completely formless in the, in the kind, of, uh, kind of dimension of sleep yoga. Um, the fact that you're going blank is not at all uncommon. To kind of bring a quality of, of heightened lucidity with that, you know, again, the meditation thing, I'm, you can't say too much about the power of that. And in particular, in this case, in formless spaces, um, formless daytime meditations are super helpful. So if you want to develop increased clarity, constancy, and not just blankness, because that blankness, especially if it's an experience of I'm experiencing the blank, the, the darkness or whatever, that's, um, it's definitely not lucid sleep. It's just a, you know, kind of a more curious manifestation of the lucid dream space. So the way to work with that, to cultivate that, is to work with those correlative states during the day. Um, increase your, your, your regular meditation, increase your open awareness, practice if you know what that's about. And then if you want to really develop some constancy frequency um, in the formless dimensions of the nocturnal mind, the way to, to start is to work with the formless dimensions of the diurnal mind. Okay, something like that. Awesome, one more and then I have to run for today because I'm, I'm still out here, have obligations, but we'll pick it up next week. <clears throat> I won't have this time restriction. So one last one for today. All right, we'll bring in Ted, TEDx to round out the year. TEDx. Hi, Andrew. I hear the mariachi band in the background, so I don't want to hold you up from your margaritas. Oh. <laughs> um, it's been a while since I've been on a live. I listened to them afterwards. But first of all, thank you for sharing more. Um, I, I find it very helpful. And also when other people share, um, because it helps me recognize where I am. And along those lines, I'd like to share something that happened to me um, about a week ago. I've been very fortunate that I've been in our community sort of a meditation instructor, which I really think of more as a senior student. 
um, and sharing uh, up to my level of understanding and experience. And quite often when I'm teaching, and I also have taught in, in high schools, the mindfulness meditation and so on, it's like, where did that come from? You know, what I'm saying, it, it, it's not me talking, it's just sort of a flow. Um, and the experience that I had, and it's the only time that it's ever happened is we now with, with COVID, we have a little online group that meets on Monday night. And the person that hosts this actually records them and sent out a recording. And for the first time I listened to one of the times when I was leading and it was a very unusual experience in that there was a visual of this image that I called Ted and there was the sound, but the words were not my words. You know, it was just sort of like this flow. And as I was listening to it, it was like, why the hell don't you take that guy's advice and do what he's saying? You know, it, it's do as I say, not as I do. Um, yeah. And I, I just wanted to, you know, in the in the sense of sharing, I wanted to share that because that was really sort of unusual for the experience that I had. That's awesome, my friend. Love yeah. it. Isn't it cool? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, because I, 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 I've done a lot. Sometimes I do a lot of preparation. Sometimes I do no preparations. But very rarely do I even look at notes. It just, it just sort of flows. So a, a quick a quick question, um, and again, please continue and, and and encourage others in the community to share those experiences because sometimes it seems like it's ego, uh, you know, look at me, look at me. But I know that it's more sharing with the with the hope that it will help other people um, in, in their journey. But one quick question. I've, one of the 90 day retreats, and I've done a lot of studying and, and meditating and contemplating the 12 Nadanas. And when you talk about the, one of the 90 day retreats, that was my primary thing of, of watching the, you know, watching the, 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 the um, thought, the emotion, the feeling, whatever arise and not grasping onto it and, and coming to the recognition that there's the nature of a pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant arising is identical. There, there's no difference between them. But when you talk about the 12 Vedanas, you go from the Vedana to grasping and, and skip over the craving, which I always have thought was the eighth so in other words, I, I, I always think, think of it as the, the feeling tones and then craving and then grasping. Yes, exactly. That's more accurate. That's more accurate. And so, is there a reason or is it just because we all understanding, understand what the grasping is? I think so. I think it's just the latter. But the craving, the craving really leads to grasping. So that, that there's more granularity when you deal with it that way. Um, so, so I... I I think it's a more accurate way to um, um, talk about it, for sure. Okay. And then one last thing to add to your to-do list for next year. 
Okay. Um, you know, the Andy sent out the the link to the the um, open awareness meditation. I really hope that you can squeeze in your extremely busy schedule to to do us like a, a maybe a mini series. Well, here's what we're doing. Interesting comment, <clears throat> and then I do have to run. We we're actually talking about <clears throat> doing a starting a weekly little session um, where we we do something like this, completely different time, because a number of people asking for more kind of support with their practices. So we do we do a little practice together, a little guided meditation together, <clears throat> and then just very brief Q and A purely on practice. If it doesn't have to do with meditation, the question won't even be addressed. So something like that. So you're a little bit on, on the wavelength that we are over here. So stay tuned. I think something like that will be coming this year because a lot of people are asking for it and we, and we want to uh, meet them at that level. Great. Thank you. Have a happy, happy new year and we'll year. talk next year. Happy new year, everybody. Thank you. 2021 will be much, much better. <clears throat> Big tsunami of change is coming. I can see it. So all the best to you. Stay safe. See you next week, same time. <clears throat> Not same time, one o'clock next week, my time. Ciao.